when a teacher or someone looks at these goals, I think they get a little overwhelmed because like, wow, there are 17 goals and these are heavy topics. I want the kids to come to the end goal. I want them to come to that solution and I want them to learn about how to be the part of the solution, not part of the problem. Welcome to the Making School Matter podcast, where we come together to talk about happenings and musings in education today. The Making School Matter podcast is powered by the University of Liggett School Center for Innovative Teaching and Learning, and we want to thank you for being here. I'm Michael Medvinsky, and your host for today's podcast. I serve as the Dean of Pedagogy and Innovation at University of Liggett School, located in southeastern Michigan. New ideas and thinking about existing things in new ways is what excites me and draws me to all things thinking, learning, and the process of inquiry. And that's why I'm very excited to welcome today our special guest, Maida Parabi. Hello, Michael. How are you today? Great. Thanks for being here. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about learner engagement, responsibility, initiative, uh, and developing a global mindset around sustainable development goals. Um, Maida is our lower school science teacher at University Liggett School with rich previous experiences in socio-scientific learning. Uh, Maida, tell us a little bit about your background and how you found your way here. Yeah, sure. Um, so first, I just want to start off by saying that I'm a huge firm advocate, a firm believer of global citizenship education, which kind of falls in the in the umbrella of peace education. And I believe that it is my duty and my responsibility as a teacher to help these kids successfully live in a globalized world. You know, our world is ever changing. It's constantly changing. And I think it's really important for these kids to learn how to um, live interconnectedly with other people and also um, be globally competent. And I even, even in my own personal life, I, I truly believe that. I think that humans in general need to just be more empathetic and we need to be more globally competent to different, different things that are going on in the world. And also just personally, I also really love, you know, global news and I love culture and I love anything with, for, with different countries. And it's just, it's just kind of my own personal, personal background, my personal belief. And naturally, um, the things that I, I believe in, in my personal life and my philosophy of life kind of bleeds into my philosophy of, of education. And so when I became, um, when I got my master's in, in elementary ed, I, my first teaching job was in kindergarten. And, um, you know, I was in a public school. We were taught the standards that we had to teach. And, you know, it was math and language arts and all that stuff. And sadly, we were only allotted 20 minutes of science a day, which, you know, naturally I was very upset by. And, you know, I was teaching all the standards and I just felt that I wanted to give the kids more. And so, I started this initiative called the Global Awareness Initiative, which is kind of where everything started. And um, so essentially, I, the students and I, we traveled the world virtually every week. And we went to a different country and we learned about the background and the culture. And we got, we got guest speakers to come in and talk about um, a country of their choice. And we learned how to use chopsticks and we learned, you know, um, different types of dances. And it was just a fun experience for the kids. And it was an opportunity for them to learn how to be globally competent. And I got such great feedback from parents that I continued doing that for several years. 
And, um, and every year was a little different. And during that time, because of my interest in global education, I decided to apply for a Fulbright fellowship with the State Department. And um, essentially, this was a Fulbright open to teachers to develop an inquiry project and um, of their choice on a passion of their choice and take that inquiry project and go to a country of their choice to research it. And so I really believed, like I said, about global citizenship education. And so I decided to research that in Finland because of, of its reputation. And um, it was great. It was wonderful. It was just so powerful to be in a country where they believed in, in global citizenship education and it was in their national core curriculum. And I got to meet with administrators, policymakers, students, teachers, um, activists, everyone. And it's it was such a powerful, powerful time for me that that was two years ago. I still think about that even to the day, to this day, and it helps me in my practice. And when I came back, I was kind of in the transition of um, of moving to Michigan, and that's where you know I I met um, you know Liggett, and the the reason I took this job was actually because of the Liggett approach, because it reminded me a lot of the ideologies that I learned in Finland. And so I'm very grateful to be here and I'm very grateful for um, for how this school just supports that inquiry process and supports student learning and student thinking. And so, yeah. So I'm really interested in uh, the way that in which you described your learning experience through the Fulbright program, uh, the fellowship and um it sounds much different than some of the learning opportunities that I remember when I was doing my undergrad, and my master's uh, in education. Um, and so I'm, I know that there's this old story of teaching, uh, you know, in science where learners are studying other people's discoveries and bec- becoming familiar with science uh, of the past, um, which is the goal of some science programs, right? We're going to study these scientists that have come before us, learn about their discoveries, uh, and that's kind of, you know, our success story in science. So I know, you know, how are you rewriting a new story of science in your classroom where scientists are viewing the world through a global lens? Yeah, so it's interesting that you would bring up just kind of that old story because, you know, when I was a kid, and I'm sure the same with you, I mean, oddly enough, for me, science was my least favorite subject. I was very creative. I was really into music and art, and I was really into creative writing. And science to me was just a lot of memorization, a lot of formulas, and it just, it didn't feel like it had any relevance in my life. And um, that's kind of the old story of, of, of teaching science, of even learning science, where it's a lot of memorization, a lot of facts, a lot of um, textbooks, and um, learning about sciences that weren't alive anymore. And um, now we've kind of shifted a little bit. And when I went to, to school to get my master's in education, that was kind of the shift of the new story of science, where it was very hands-on and very inquiry-based. And now that I'm a teacher, science is my favorite subject to teach and also one of my favorite subjects to learn. So I think when that shift happened, that's when that's when my mindset also changed and kind of that that new story. You know, when I was a kid, we would, you know, take a test on the scientific method. It would be a multiple choice test and I wasn't able to apply it. 
And now that, um, that I, now that I'm a teacher, we can, I'm still teaching the scientific method because I still think it's important for, for these learners, but we're, we're applying it through experiments. You know, we're learning about the, the scientific method through an experiment. And so that's kind of the new age of, of science. And I like to think that I'm doing kind of a newer, newer story of science by, by including that, that global perspective and, um, that, that through the global lens. And I believe in something called socioscience where I'm teaching science through social issues, through that global perspective. And I think it's extremely important. Like I've said in the beginning, um, it's just so important for these kids to know what's going on in the world as it relates to science. Um, and you know, I'm not a social studies teacher, but you will see a world map in my room because that's essentially my my purpose is is to to make these kids globally competent and globally aware. And thinking about the idea of global awareness and um, understanding the world through science, you know, we we look at some of the shortcomings um, that the human race has created. Uh, in our biology and, and in in the kind of through the lens of science um, and whether you call it, you know, sustainability or agenda 2030 or sustainable development goals or SDGs or whatever label you put on that. We're kind of, you know, thinking about what our contribution is to um, to battling what we have come to create. So, you know, what is this? that you have begun to explain and how did you become interested in it? Sure. Um, so I'm a, a firm believer. I'm a firm believer of a lot of things, but one major thing is the United Nations sustainable development goals. And, um, also known as agenda 2030, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and the SDGs. And so essentially what this is, is that, um, in 2015, the members of the United Nations came together and they came up with 17 goals to transform our world, to make our world a much more um, sustainable place. And these goals um, is kind of like a call of action that the United Nations has put onto the world. And it's a big global partnership. And the goals are separated by social sustainability and environmental sustainability. So with social sustainability, it's more about kind of the well-being of society. Um, for example, SDG 1, no poverty. SDG 2, you know, zero hunger. Um, SDG 16, peace, justice, and strong institutions. So again, really um, covering the, the, the social aspect of sustainability. And environmental sustainability, on the other hand, is more related to, to the environment. And so um, we have SDG 7, clean energy, you know, SDG 14, life on, on land, and SDG um, 15, life on water. So more about how it relates to the environment, how we can preserve our environment. And, you know, one thing that I, I absolutely love about the SDGs is that it's promotes collectivism and it promotes collaboration. And at the end of the day, as teachers and educators, that's essentially what our goal is, you know, to teach these kids how to be um, collaborative thinkers, collaborative workers and work together as a team. And that's essentially what the SDGs embody, a global collaboration. And um, 
it's just a wonderful thing and I absolutely love it. So looking at SDGs, um, it is su- and a call to action. It is such a kind of visceral um, idea and kind of a heavy idea as well. So I'm wondering, like, how do you create these opportunities for some of our youngest learners in our lower school to um, embody these goals um, and and be a part of their everyday experience in your classroom? Yeah, and um, I I think there's a lot of ways that you can incorporate the SDGs in 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 the classroom. And it doesn't have to be something so big. It could just be something small. Um, you know, for example, um, we planted plants in our garden. And we're talking about the importance of why gardens are, are essential for our communities. And we connect that to SDG 15, life on land. Well, why is it important to preserve our life on land? And... Um, Another another thing is in the beginning of the year, fifth grade was talking about biomes and uh, they had to choose a famous biome around the world. And some students chose the Amazon rainforest and the Amazon rainforest. There was a lot going on and they ended up learning about deforestation and the what is happening in the Amazon. They're cutting down trees for several different reasons. And um, so the kids are researching this and they're learning about deforestation and it's connected to SDG 15, life on land. Okay, why is deforestation a global issue? Why is, why is it happening? What can be done about it? Let's think of some solutions. And the kids are all coming, on, coming to this on their own and that's what's so powerful about it and what's so special. And... Um, Another example is a third grader came to me one time and and said they were driving with their family and they saw a wind farm. And I'm not from Michigan, so I was surprised that there was a wind farm in Michigan. And so I asked her questions and she taught me a lot of things. And she was like, well, how do wind turbines even work? And so naturally, I love to take a kid's curiosity and, and make it into a project. And so we made wind turbines and we developed um we developed it with different materials in the classroom and we use the motor to to kind of demonstrate how it works and um that promotes sdg 7 clean and affordable energy and that's what's so great because again it's coming from the kids curiosity and i'm connecting it to that global greater good of clean energy and from there we talk about renewable energy what is what is renewable energy? What is uh, hydro energy and solar energy and wind energy? So it all kind of connects together. And another idea that just popped in my head was um, the fourth graders were doing a Minecraft project where they were um, they were making a sustainable city. And so they talked about, well, what are the unsustainable problems that we're seeing in our community, in our world? And they're coming up with sustainable solutions. Again, that's also part of the SDG. So we're connecting it all together. And um, it's so powerful. And the kids just get light bulb moments. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is part of the SDGs. This is so great. And so it's just a a wonderful thing that that happens naturally. And connecting it to some of my prior experiences working with our younger learners, um, approaching things from the idea of egocentricism. Um, My world is just around me. And so thinking about how we can extend that perspective to the global awareness, 
um, using a thinking routine like the three whys and starting to think about, well, why might this matter to me? Let's really start with that kind of, you know, the self, the I, the egocentric idea of why might it matter to me? Thinking about that same idea and presenting it to why might it matter to the people around me? My class, my school, my community, my family. And then thinking about that same idea and why might it matter to people around the world? And thinking about starting with the me of the I and honoring that, that's where kind of we're thinking when we're, you know, some of our youngest learners at school and extending those ideas helps us develop that global awareness. It is opportunities like you're describing to think about that there are first, maybe there's these big ideas that we might need to, you know, look backward. Why might it matter to the world? Why might it matter to my community? And why might it matter to me? Or thinking about, you know, I drove and saw this wind farm and why might that matter to me? And why might that matter to the community? And why that might that matter to the world? It's this kind of intentionality in the way that you're talking about presenting this kind of um, uh, learning style to, to scientists in your classroom that helps them develop this type of thinking. And so when we're talking about the development of a type of thinking and, and presenting it to a class, we're talking about a framework, a pedagogy. And you are thinking, uh, well, you explain the sustainable goals as um, specific goals that are numbered. So that maybe sounds like a curriculum. So are, are the sustainable development goals a curriculum? Are the sustainable develop, development goals a framework? Can you help us understand that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is very debated in the, you know, the SDG community. Um, is it a, is it a curriculum? Is it a framework? What is it exactly? And, um, I would personally say that it's a framework. And it's not a subject. It's not like, okay, it's 2.30, it's SDG time. You know, it's not a unit that I spend, you know, four months on. It is honestly like a way of life and it's embedded in our classroom. And um, it's more of a resource. And I will say that when I first started implementing the SDGs, I used it as a curriculum. And my first year ever doing it, you know, I picked a time in the day and it was 2.30. I just taught the goals. Every week we worked on we worked on one goal. And we did this for 17 weeks. And we learned a goal. We did activities on the goal. And it was still successful. It was still effective. The kids still learned a lot. They, the parents had such great positive feedback. But as I gained more research in, in implementing SDGs, I think what's so important is not just teaching them the goals, but teaching them how to apply it. To what we're learning. And so, um, so yeah, I don't see it as a curriculum. There's, you know, not a set lesson plan that I follow. I, like I said earlier, I, I feed off the kids interest and we go from there and it's, it comes very naturally. So I think it's so interesting that you described it as a way of life. It's a way of knowing it's a way of being. And one of the fundamental aspects of the Liggett approach is that the work students do has connections to the world beyond our walls and the life they, they might lead in it. And so just thinking about the ways in which you described the, um, the engagement in these goals um, I'm wondering, you know, how are you using these specific resources to facilitate this type of learning 
of a mindset. It is a disposition that you are helping learners develop. Um, are there certain ways of understanding? Are there certain ways that you um, use the resources and create these opportunities for learners uh, in the science room? Well, there are a lot of ways. I mean, I think when, when a teacher or someone looks at these goals, I think they get a little overwhelmed because like, wow, there are 17 goals and these are heavy topics. And I, like I said earlier, I want the kids to come to, to the end goal. I want them to come to that solution and I want them to learn about how to be the part of the solution, not part of the problem. And I think when you're, when you're doing SDGs, and you're implementing it, it's all about inquiry, inquiry mindset. And um, that's what's so great about it. Here we have 17 goals that engages students by making real world connections, maybe to their own life or to the world as a whole. And they're doing it through exploration. They're doing it to questioning and um, problem solving. They're also really working towards that social emotional learning. And so I think one thing that I one thing that I try to do with the SDGs is I want to take the students from understanding their own identity and their own community as it relates to a socio-scientific issue. That's essentially my goal. And I want them to question, I want them to investigate. I don't I don't want to force things down the the children's throats. You know, I don't want them to feel like, well, I guess this is what we have to do. I want them to come come to that understanding on their own and come to that aha moment on their own. And I will be honest, it's not a seamless process sometimes. It's very messy. And um, sometimes, depending on the children, you have to kind of scaffold it in, in a way for them to understand. But it's possible, and I've, I've seen it, and I've seen that, that I keep using the, the term light bulb moment because I've seen so many in, in, in the past few weeks when they realize – when they make that connection to the SDGs, you know, they're just in natural conversation. They're like, wait, didn't we talk about this? Isn't that like SDG two? And I've heard this. I actually heard this with third graders today when they were um, working on an assignment and they were connecting here and there. And it was just such a beautiful thing to see. So there's a lot of different ways you can, you can kind of gear the SDGs towards. But like I said earlier, it's not like, all right, Monday, we're going to talk about SDG five. Um, it's more of that natural process. And some of the overarching themes, uh, themes I'm hearing you say, these recurring themes is making connections, um, uncovering complexities of these goals and how they connect to our lives, um, considering different viewpoints where you may think, one way, but somebody else's lived experiences may help you think differently about something uh, and, and help you to build explanations of these things that you may not have explicitly told them this was the goal of what we were doing today. But through that inquiry process and through the act of discovering, they make those connections naturally. And that's when it really matters. That's they're finding meaning in what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, and Oftentimes, when that happens, they feel compelled to take action, right? And and thinking about not only are you engaging learners in discovering uh, their understanding of science, but also their contribution to the world. And so um, thinking about some other climate activists, 
uh, Vanessa Nakate, an, uh, a Ugandan climate activist, she said, your actions matter. No action or voice is too small to make a difference. So Maida, how do you ensure your youngest learners know that they matter and empower them to find their own perceived worth as they wrestle with the world's tensions through science? You know, I, I get so inspired by these young activists um, and these young scientists because they took that initiative and no one forced them to do it. It wasn't part of a, you know, part of a, a class assignment. They went out and they had dedication. And essentially that's what our goal is, right? To, to inspire that one student to go out there and, and make a difference and be a change agent, be a change maker. And um, I think a lot of times when you want to help the students learn that their impact matters, honestly, it's a simple answer. Just talk to the students. Don't talk at them. Um, these kids have such great ideas, and I'm always so impressed with what they come up with. And with their limited knowledge, they have a lot of background knowledge. And um, every time we talk about something, you know, I'll just bring a simple, simple example, pollution. You know, most, most if not all students know what pollution is and that um, throwing trash on the ground is not a good thing, right? And um, just talking to them about it and and having being more of a facilitator than someone that's just trying to force these kids to to you know think that pollution is bad. I want them to to kind of to kind of figure it out on their own. And one one conversation that comes to mind as I'm talking about this is um, we were talking to first graders, and the first graders and I were just talking about different types of pollution you know, um, land pollution, air pollution, water pollution. And, you know, the kids were making connections and they were saying, oh my gosh, you know, my neighborhood had so much trash and my mom lets me pick it up. And simple conversations where I'm just letting the kids be kids and share out and, and talk to each other about it. And a couple of days ago, and that was several months ago when we talked about this. And a couple of days ago, I had a couple sec uh, first graders come in and they had a bag of trash and they're like, we just picked up all this trash from, from the playground. And it was a complete total random encounter. I mean, I didn't tell them to go out there and pick up trash. They decided on their own that, Hey, there's a lot of trash in this playground. Like I'm going to pick it up. And like Vanessa was saying, you know, that's a very, very small thing that you can do that can have that bigger impact that can make a huge difference. And I think a lot of times children and not even children, adults, we just think, oh, we're just one person. We can't change the world. Well, one small, small thing that we can do, one change that we can make in our lives can really make a difference, even if it doesn't seem like it in the moment. And so I just love that the, those first graders just didn't wait for me or a teacher to say, hey, go pick that up. They just went out there and they were so proud of their bag of trash. And um, and it was just so great. And it made me feel like, well, I did my job. You know, I inspire these kids um, to to go out there and, and do something not for themselves. Like you were saying, you know, a lot of these kids are kind of most kids are kind of in that egocentric mindset. And you know, thinking about others, thinking about their planet is is very powerful. And um, that's how I want them to to live their lives. And um, so, yeah, making that impact in, in very small ways is very important. 
And you are describing the collaborative nature of having an idea and then growing that idea and, and taking action. So, you know, discovering the sustainable development goals with the first graders or the young learners, which you're describing, um, is this collaborative process. You have conversations with them. Um, and you, well, like you said, we're going to let kids be kids, but they come up with these really, uh, rich ideas. Uh, but it also has a lot of information that comes along with it. Um, so, you know, you've mentioned the, the classroom conversations, you've mentioned some strategies that that you do to help facilitate an inquiry approach to the SDGs. What are some specific facilitative um, processes that you use to engage learners with the SDGs? I think one thing that's really important if you're trying to implement the SDGs in, in your classroom is learning how to apply the SDGs concretely in that local settings. And I think it's, um, it's important to incorporate community perspectives to, in order to ensure relevance to the kids. And I think a lot of times students and adults, we don't necessarily remember something if it doesn't really have some sort of relevance in our lives. And I think that's why it's important to, to um, facilitate learning through, through that local, that local perspective. And um, I'll give an example. In the beginning of the year, we were talking about the water crisis and how it affects one over 1 billion people. Right. And it's something that's happening all over the world. And when it, child sometimes hears about the water crisis, it's kind of far removed from their own life. And they're like, we know what's happening. It's just not happening in my own life. And so um, from there, we learned about a young scientist in, named Jintajali Rao. And she developed a an app to detect lead in, in water. And she did this for the people of Flint, Michigan. And so the kids you know, saw that, okay, this is happening 4,000 miles away from me, but wait, it's also happening a few cities away from me. So that was kind of the the revelation that they came on their own. Um, like I said earlier with that natural process and um, they, it made them think like, oh my gosh, this is, this is happening in my own community. It's happening close to me. And, um, it's just a very interesting – it's an interesting p- process to watch as an outsider because you're seeing these kids kind of realizing things that, hey, you know, I thought that this was only happening on the other side of the world, but, hey, it's actually happening here and um, making it more relevant. And, you know, when I we did talk about the Flint water crisis, a lot of the kids didn't necessarily know what it was. Some of them did, and um, but just knowing that it was happening in their own state was a very powerful, powerful moment for them. And um, another example about kind of bringing that local perspective um, is we are currently doing a project called First Lego League, and um, it's a project that's developed by Lego Education, and it every year there's a new theme, and this year's theme is. Um, improving the transportation of cargo. 
And if you think about it, that's a huge global perspective, right? It's a huge global problem. It's a huge global issue that, you know, it's happening today where our supply chain is, you know, messed up and a lot of our products are not getting to us on time. And we, we do a lot of importing with products from other countries and the kids are learning that and they, um, they're learning that, hey, this is a global problem. This is a global issue. And I challenge the kids to take a problem that's happening with, with, um, with, you know, transport, transportation of cargo to take that problem and find, find something that relates to the SDGs. And a few kids, you know, did some research and a few kids decided, hey, you know, one problem could be that we have all these cargo ships that are on our oceans and they're going from point A to point B. There's a lot of oil spills that could potentially happen. And is that good for our oceans? And so they do a lot of they did a lot of research on, you know, SDG 14, you know, life underwater and what happens when when we have that oil spill that's happening in the oceans. I mean, they they. Um, research the BP oil spill. They research the the Mauritius oil spill, and they're like, "What's going on? This is so crazy." And from there, they kind of decided, "Hey, you know, the other day I saw a cargo ship on Detroit River. Hey, let's research if you know there are any oil spills in Detroit River." So they went from that global perspective of Mauritius on the coast of Africa to let's talk about Detroit River, which is you know right right next door to us. And um, so that's what they're doing right now. They're in that process. And in a few weeks, um, we invited a local logistics manager that currently works for GM who has experience on that transportation of cargo ships. And they're going to ask all these questions about, you know, is there any way to avoid to avoid oil spills? And so their solution is, well, why can't we just make solar energy powered you know, ships or electric ships. I mean, we have electric cars. Why can't we make electric ships? So I just seeing all this process kind of pan out. And I will say it's scaffolded. You know, I'm there to support them. I'm I'm the facilitator. I'm not the one that's teaching them everything. They're finding their answers on their own. And it's just, it's so powerful. And there's just so many ways that you can take this. And um, I really, like I said, it's just extremely powerful and just so needed for our life right now. And what you're describing is a place-based science program. And, you know, we, one of our signature programs at University of Liggett is our place-based humanities uh, program, especially through our science, uh, our social studies and history, um, thinking about how the place is where you are, uh, is an important place to be and how the history of your place helps you understand the history of the nation. What has happened locally, which then helps you understand some of the glo- some of the more um, national occurrences. And you've just described what that sounds like and what it looks like in science. Um, you're taking something that is happening locally. The learners are interested in thinking about that, and it gives them a better idea of what's happening globally. And that's another kind of, you know, uh, a way that the, the, the facilitation of keeping the SDGs at the center helps to create an, a global understanding uh, of what's happening. And so, um, you know, that global idea, um, but bringing it to the local level is uh, such an important facet of the SDGs and taking something like 
uh, plastic consumption. Um, one, uh, one initiative years ago that our second graders uh, came up with was the awareness of the idea, the problem of our school using too many single-use plastic straws. They went to, you know, lunch one day and, um, and decided that, you know, we are using so many of these straws and they're being thrown away. And I think it was an image of a sea turtle that, um, was having some issues with a straw in its nose that really kind of resonated with them. And, uh, they decided to take action on it. Um, and they went to, you know, our, um, head of school. They went to our, uh, um, uh, our lunch uh, area and said, Hey, we have this idea. What if we tried a week of no plastic straws? And that was three years ago or so. And we still to this day don't use single use plastic straws. So it's this initiative and, and thinking about the idea of you being a change agent and, and, and finding the, uh, finding the problem asking questions, doing some research, and then taking action. And this is action that happened on a local level, but also connects to a global idea of plastic consumption. So thinking about the idea of learners wondering, making those personal connections to themselves, to their community, considering different viewpoints, what might the head of school say? What might the head of food services say? Um, you know, what, what questions do I need to ask and what viewpoints do I, do I need to consider and then form conclusions on how I might do that and taking action. These are the types of thinking that you are describing, uh, facilitating in your classroom. So how are you specifically designing these ideas in your current science curriculum to not only think about the content area of that specific science standard, but developing the skills needed for learners to go through this kind of thought process and, and action taking. It, like I said, it's a very natural process. Um, I didn't used to do this before. I mean, this was my experience here at Leggett has really helped me develop the, into the type of teacher I want to be, where um, before it was a lot of, okay, this week we're going to talk about climate change. This week, we're going to talk about this. This week, we're going to talk about this. But I've learned that you could really take a, ch a child's curiosity and really run with it. And like I said um, in, earlier, I I want to take the what the kids are interested in, what they're, you know, with the, the wind turbine, for example, you know, they saw, they saw a wind farm and they were curious. And Another example, this child said that a first grader said that, you know, I I was really interested in or I read this book on um, on recycled paper and people making stuff out of recycled paper. And they were like, how is that even made? And I didn't even know this process. And so I was like, well, let's look it up. And so we went from that curiosity to um, to actually making recycled paper and the kids made the recycled paper. They were able to draw on it, draw on it. So it's kind of, it's kind of like that where it comes on that natural process. And it's not just like you said, teaching the content, teaching what, you know, for example, SDG, you know, 12 is responsible consumption and not just teaching what that means, responsible consumption, which is, you know, plastic, but also teaching the skills on how, 
how to understand it and teaching the the problem solving skills and um, understanding that critical thinking and that conceptual thinking um, on how to get there because we can all sit there and teach the curriculum and teach a bunch of um, a st- students a bunch of stuff about things that are important. But what's really important, what really matters is the the questioning strategies, how we get there, the problem solving. Um, I mean, the kids right now are doing this huge collaborative project in First Lego League where they have to work together, come up with problems and come up with a solution. And that skill in itself is going to take them all the way to upper school and you know, once they graduate, um, graduate out of high school and into college, I mean, they're going to need these skills. I mean, like I said, I mean, these kids are growing up in a very ever changing society. Every day, something's happening. That's something's different. And what what life in the world looks like right now could be different in five years when these kids are, you know, in middle and high school. And so it's important to teach these life skills that will get them there. And I think the biggest skill we can teach in science, besides all that content, is that collaboration piece. Because once they get into that workforce, they're going to be collaborating with other people. They're going to be coming up with ideas. They're going to be um, needing to compromise. I mean, you don't know how many times I've heard the word, let's work as a team in the past month. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm enforcing it. I'm enforcing these core values to be, to be, um, to be in the classroom, but I'm not saying anything. These kids are like, let's stop arguing and let's work. And, um, I heard a second grader the other day saying, we need to come to a compromise. And so these are the skills that are needed in 21st century skills to make these kids or encourage these kids to be global citizens. And I think they're also modeling the language that you use in the classroom. If you continue to say, let's work as a team, you continue to say, let's compromise. What did you think? And what did you think? How can we make a compromise? The language that you use and model as the language of thinking and learning and collaboration that will become the vernacular of your, of your classroom. Learners will begin to use that language as a way for them to communicate the ideas that they're thinking about. One other uh, idea that really stuck out to me um, was the idea of teaching the, teaching the children what is important. But the idea of important to who? Are you teaching things that you think are important or are you actually teaching the things that the learners are finding important? And what you are saying with starting with the learner's interest um, and really thinking about, um, you know, cultivating their their passions and their interests, um, that is, you know, thinking about choice as a pathway to engagement. Learners are are steeped in engagement in your classroom. There is very little, you know, um, there's very little time to not be a scientist. But even scientists have disagreements. You think one way and I think the other way. um, And we need to come to a compromise. And sometimes that means I need to challenge your thinking. But how do you challenge that thinking, right? We're not challenging the person. We're challenging the idea. And we're working around ideas, right? And I think that's some a really important part uh, of what you were describing um, was working with ideas in a collaborative nature. Now, there is some 
I think, tension not only in um, learning about the ways in which to engage learners in your classroom, but also the SDGs in general. So um, there's some controversy around SDGs in that it is an idealistic view of the world. So what are your thoughts about that that tension? Yeah, I mean, I have been in the SDG community for a while, and I've heard it all. And um, I've heard a lot of people say that, like you said, it's, a, it's an idealistic rhetoric. And I've heard people say that it is an unrealistic utopian promise. And a lot of critics are saying that, you know, it will, this is really expensive for world leaders to actually achieve these goals. It would be, I think they say something like $7 trillion to achieve these goals. And I'm not looking at it in that political mindset. I'm not a politician. I don't plan to be a politician. I'm not looking at it through the lens of the political agenda. I'm looking at it as a globally minded human that believes in human rights and believes in these goals. And one thing that you cannot argue about with the SDGs that it promotes empathy. And that is what I think, in my opinion, that the world needs more of. And we need to start at a young age to inspire these kids and to promote empathy, not just empathy within um, your own school, but empathy with, for global issues around the world and empathy for our planet. And personally, I don't think empathy is a idealistic rhetoric. I don't think it's um, a utopian promise. It's completely attainable. It's something that we all have in us. And it's just, to me, what's so important and what's so powerful about the SDGs. I don't know how much money it's going to take to really achieve these goals. I'm not really focused on that. I'm focused on more of just the human rights aspect of it. I mean, this is this is what it is. And that's probably what I would say um, to the critics, for sure. And so thinking about wrestling those tensions of uh, today and the environmental and social struggles that our grown-ups are um, dealing with, how do you keep our youngest learners' mindset out of this like doom and gloom um, idea of today's world and inspire advocacy uh, and learner initiatives? Yeah, you know, I, I talk about this a lot. I struggle with the doom and gloom aspect myself. Um, and I don't even know if I have the right answers. You know, and all I can think of is one recent example um, that happened with fourth graders. And we were talking about sea levels rising and what happens if all the ice caps melted in our world, the sea levels will rise and our and our coastal towns will be flooded. And it was a casual conversation. We weren't even we were just talking about it, it kind of came up in natural conversation and the kids were getting ready to leave. And this fourth grade student really was just talking to himself, said, oh my gosh, I'm scared now, and walked out of the room. And that's obviously not what I want to do as a teacher. I don't want to scare these kids and thinking that the world is coming to an end. And what I want to do is just give hope to these kids that, yes, there are a lot of crazy things going on in the world. And there are a lot of things that are, are not so great. But we don't have to just sit back and watch if we don't like something. We don't have to be bystanders. And if we are passionate about something, we can 
change things. And like I was saying earlier, I think a lot of people are like, well, I'm just one person. What could I really do? And that's why, you know, it's important with that, um, that small impact and that changing one thing can really make the world of difference. And so with the whole doom and gloom, it's, it's hard. It's hard because there's a lot of crazy things going on and there are a lot of issues that are, that are sad. And um, again, just telling them that inspiring them, you don't have to just sit back and watch if you don't like something. And I've said that to to the kids in the past and they're receptive to it. um, But sometimes they just don't know what they can do. They want to do something. They just don't know what. And like if one, one child plants a tree and takes seven kids with them to plant a tree, they're technically combating climate change. They're not going to probably fix climate change, you know, tomorrow, but they are becoming part of the solution and not the problem. And that's what I want to inspire these kids is be part of the, but part of the solution and, but don't be part of the problem. And that's that mindset that you were talking about, right? The disposition to uh, think more globally where you can plant a tree locally, but that one ripple may help other people uh, around think, oh, we can plant more trees too. And then the more trees you plant, the better the air is, the better the air is, the better we all can breathe in the world. So it sounds to me um, that this is a societal responsibility, right? It can start with one person, uh, but it is something that all of us are a part of and all of us should be compelled to contribute to. Um, It's everyone's, you know, duty to contribute. So what advice and recommendations would you give to other teachers interested in your approach to science? I, I think first and foremost, you have to truly believe in the goals. You can't expect the kids to believe in it if you don't believe in it yourself. And the SDGs are very, are, they're very powerful, but they're also very sensitive. And there's a lot of sensitive topics and which is one of the reasons why I don't want to force any teacher to implement it, because I'm not going to force you to just believe in something that you may not believe in. And you have to, in my opinion, believe it, but also apply it. And it's a way of life in a way. And the more I've learned about the SDGs, the more I've altered bits of my life. I can't alter everything. I'm only human. I still drive a gas car. You know, I still use electricity in my house, but small things like I've been mentioning, you know, I don't use plastic bags when I go to grocery stores. You know, I use renewable or reusable bags. And that's just something small. And I'm, again, being part of the solution. I'm trying to be at least. And, you know, I turn off lights when I leave a room, small things. And so you have to really believe in human rights education, but also in the SDGs. That's the, that's first and foremost. But if you just are simply trying to learn more about each 17 goals, the United Nations has developed 17 different kid-friendly videos, and they're all animated, and they're all really fun and engaging, and it explains each goal in kid language. And so you can watch that on your own. You can watch that with students. It really helps explain a lot of the goals because some of the goals are a little challenging and 
it's hard to to understand even as adults. Um, and so it's a very good resource. It's on YouTube. You can just YouTube the goal and it'll, and it'll show up. But if you really want to take on the challenge of actually teaching a lesson related to the goals, um, there's a great resource online that I used when I first started implementing. It's called The World's Largest Lesson, and you can also Google that. And it's actually endorsed by Emma Watson and um, Malala Yousafzai. So that's also something something special as well. And they're on this website, they have all the goals. You just click on the goal, and they give you a bunch of lessons that you can do related to it. And you can modify it based off of your, your students' ages, um, but it's a great resource to at least get started, see if this is something that you really, really enjoy doing. Conversations that come out of it is amazing. That's my favorite part of it. Um, but also I wanted to mention and I want it to be known to everyone that you don't have to be a science teacher to teach sustainability and to teach any of these goals. You can modify these goals for any subject. You know, I've done it in I've done it for language arts social studies. You can even do it for math. There are so many resources online. You don't have to make it up. Um, And again, it's such a great resource and it's such a great framework. And um, I would definitely start off with learning what it is and really believing in its value. And I also think that the allocation of time really would help with the implementation of the SDGs. Um, the way you allocate time in your classroom sends silent messages of what you value. And so if you are allocating time for learners to unpack these SDGs, to make connections to them, to build explanations around them and to take action on them, then you truly are showing that you value them and that your that your learners will find value in it too by, al- by the allocation of that time. Um, so Maida, thank you so much. It's time to uh, have a wrap up and reflection. So thinking about your time as a teacher, now I really want to go back and focus on that idea that you don't necessarily have to be a science teacher to think about SDGs. So I know that you were a classroom teacher for a long time before you um, narrowed it down to focus on science. So can you, you know, shift your perspective lens a little bit wider when you think about this? So um, as a teacher, how would you finish the sentence I used to think? And now I think. Well, I used to think that great discussions happened in a controlled environment where the teacher would lead it. And now I think the best discussions are ones where the kids are responding to each other in groups. And I say that because prior to this year, my discussions with students would be, I'm in the front of the room, I ask a question, I, I let them turn and talk, I call on friends individually. That was how I did it. And now there was a huge shift this year. And now I think the best conversations happen when I'm not even listening. And when the kids are just talking to each other and coming up with, with solutions and, and problem solving and they're, they're feeding off of each other's energy. And I always thought, well, if I, let the, if I gave the kids that much freedom, they're going to be talking about Superman or something or something completely irrelevant to what we're talking about. But that is so far from the truth. And um, the best discussions I have heard have come from random group projects and group discussions. So that's the first thing that I would that I would say. 
for sure. And I think that beautifully illustrates one of our Liggett approach elements is that our classrooms are student-centered and teacher-guided and student voice has meaningful agency in the classroom. So providing that time for learners to, you know, really have those rich conversations um, and wonder and, and, and build explanations uh, and collaborate around an idea, I think that beautif beautifully illustrates uh, that particular um, tenet of our Liggett approach. Um, so thank you so much. Um, for those of us who are watching and listening, if you'd like to talk more about sustainable development goals, please connect with Maida Parabi um, on Twitter. She's at M Parabi, P-O-U-R-R-A-B-I. Um, and she has a window into her classroom uh, through Twitter. Um, or you can contact the Center for Innovative Teaching and Learning at www.center.uls.org. Uh, on behalf of everyone at University Liggett's Center for Innovative Teaching and Learning, thank you for watching and listening to Making School Matter. Please like, share, and subscribe, and keep current with our offerings. For more episodes and to learn more about University Liggett School and the Liggett Approach, please visit uls.org. Until next time, I encourage you to look closely, think deeply, and wonder incessantly. <laughs>